Welcome to this APTA podcast. This podcast is part of APTA's Fit for Practice initiative, powered by HyperIce. Weekly programming in the form of podcasts, articles, webinars, and courses help you to prioritize movement, restoration, resiliency, and practice health. Visit APTA.org and search Fit for Practice to sign up today to receive these resources delivered to your inbox. Welcome to this APTA Fit for Practice podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Select Medical. Today, I'm joined by Janet Besner. Janet is a professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at Texas State University. She received a bachelor's degree in physical therapy at the University of Texas Medical Branch, a master's degree from Texas Women's University, a PhD in health education from the University of Texas, and a DPT degree from Rocky Mountain University of Health Professions. She's also a national board certified health and wellness coach. She was vice president of education, governance and administration at APTA for nine years and served on APTA's board of directors prior to joining its staff. Janet has practiced in a variety of healthcare settings, including hospitals, home health, long-term care and corporate wellness. Her research has resulted in numerous publications and presentations. Today's podcast will be on life hacks for personal and professional well-being. Janet, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. It's great to be here. We're so glad to have you. So I'm going to jump right in with my questions for you. Based on your experience as a health and wellness coach and leader, what's a useful framework to think about personal and professional well-being? Great question. Um, Well-being and wellness are are subjects that are near and dear to my heart. I've spent the majority of my career studying those things. And so I'd like to use a a wellness model um, that is multidimensional. So it would include um, any dimensions that a person thinks are important. So like for myself, the physical dimension, uh, social dimension, relationships, psychological dimension, uh, which for me would be um, optimism and um, potential, I guess I'll say, under psychological, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, occupational, financial, whatever is important to people. And if you think of those things in a circle uh, in next to each other and think of it as a, as a tire, and if, like if, if I'm going through an aspect of my life and I, let's say I got injured and I physically am unable to do something, uh, or, or do much, then that, that dimension is kind of flat at that point in life. What happens and the way it works because of systems theory and the intersectionality of all these dimensions is that the other dimensions can compensate. So physical therapists and physical therapist assistants understand this concept really well because they have treated patients with really severe um, injuries who are still well, right? Who are still high performing. I think of Um, famous people like Christopher Reeve, who had a very high level spinal cord injury. And after that, he lived a very full life and had a lot of wellness. And so he used the other dimensions to compensate for the dimensions that he was weaker or lower in. And so when you're thinking about well-being, um, it's important to recognize that you don't have to do everything in all the dimensions all the time. Uh, I think society would like us to think that that's the case, Um, but uh, we do need to be intentional about what areas we want to focus on. And at any given moment in life, it could be any one of those areas and it doesn't have to be all of the areas. So um, 
you know, gains or wellness in one area sort of bleeds over into the others. And so we need to think of ourselves holistically um, and realize that um, we shouldn't put our all of our eggs in one basket. I'm not saying that, but we don't have to attend to every single one all the time. And that's that's when people kind of um, go crazy trying to do it all. So um, focus on it one or two at a time and um, develop yourself in those. And the, the greater one area gets, the bigger the other areas get. That was going to be my natural next question is what do you think is a reasonable amount of dimensions to work on at the same time that, is, that you're able to do? You said one to two. Yeah. Is that pretty much where you operate? That's a great question. I really like that question. I would say that I um, have that the answer for me has changed throughout my career and my life. I would say there are definitely times when I was one dimensional. I'll give you one example. When I was doing my PhD, it was all about the intellectual. I had no time for anything else. And I basically told all my friends and family, I'll see you in three years. <laughs> you know, and, and our students experience that, our DPT students, you know, they have to give a lot of attention to intellectual. Um, and so, but at the same time, uh, we emphasize to them that they shouldn't give up on the physical and the social, for example, which are very important to young adults. Um, just, um, you know, adjust to doing less of it. So I think that answer is variable. Um, as, a, as a mature adult, I would say that I um, attend to probably three or four uh, every week, and I do a good job of that. Um, I have a lot of experience though, um, and I understand the concept. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting that that's right for everybody, but I think it depends on your phase of life. Um, you know, what, what you are trying to, to, where you're trying to get to in your life. And, and regardless of what you focus on, you know, quality is much better than quantity always. So, you know, being thoughtful and intentional and, and um, sort of jumping all in, um, I think is much more enjoyable and much more successful. Uh, and the literature bears that out as well. Okay, I'm gonna go off the rails with another question here, Janet. Sure. So <clears throat> you said as a mature adult, you're able to focus on three or four things a week. How do you stay organized with that? Like, do you think about it ahead of time and plan it out? Or is it just a happy accident? Yeah, great question, Sarah. Yeah, so um, planning and intentionality mm -hmm. are so important with, with personal and professional success. And and habit forming, which is something I'll talk a little more about later. Um, nothing, um, none of these kind of, um, none of this kind of success happens by chance to many of us. There, there are examples of that, but you have to be, you have to be planned. So, um, you know, I think of my life in the week, in the week um, timeframe. So at the beginning of the week, which for me, I like to think of as Sunday, uh, evening or Monday morning, I think about, you know, what, what are my biggest opportunities for contributions in that week and when will those occur? And I always think of myself as one of those areas. So how am I going to contribute or, or, or focus on myself this week? Where's my opportunity for that? And it could be in any of those dimensions, but 
I am intentional about it. And so, yes, I, I use a calendar. I block off time for those kinds of things. Um, I don't use this dimension language, but, um, you know, I'll, I might even put self-care on my calendar uh, to let my staff know who have access to my calendar um, that that's time that's important to me. And if, unless someone's bleeding or dead, they shouldn't, you know, um, scoot that off my calendar. Um, you know, and 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 in doing that, I'm setting a great example for them. And I'm I'm um, creating, you know, sort of creating a culture where that's okay. Because if the boss does it, then everybody everybody knows it's okay to do. And I never pass up an opportunity when I'm meeting with my staff. I have, you know, 18 staff, uh, faculty and and administrative staff. And, you know, I never pass up an opportunity to ask them, are you taking care of yourself? How can I support that? Um, what, what, what can I do to support you? Um, you know, from, from needing permission to telling them how I do it, to just giving them some examples. So, so planning to answer your question, planning is super important. And it, and it, and, you know, if you wait till the day of to plan, that's a little late because, um, you uh, are more subject to things that come up urgently. Um, so I suggest, you know, plan a little bit ahead, like a week or maybe even two weeks um, to, to block off time for yourself and to think about what it is that you need to do. And so for me, um, the pandemic did change it uh, in good and bad ways. So I have a 50 mile round trip commute. So 25 miles to 25 miles from. So all of a sudden I wasn't doing that. So I had more time in my day. That was awesome. Um, however, my social, um, dimension just plummeted because, uh, we weren't doing any of that. And my family's not very technologically inclined, so there were no Zoom happy hours or anything like that in my family. Some of my friend groups did, so my social dimension really, really was negatively impacted. So I had to really think about and be intentional about how to how to address that. And, you know, I was able to do that. I mean, I was really glad when we could see each other again, obviously. But um, so, yeah, I think they were good and bad for me. Um, and and coming out of it, um, you know, we're, we're, we're back under lockdown here again, but, um, you know, we've figured out we can be outside safely. So there's there's more information that that's helpful. Um, one of the things that I, I would say I gained from the pandemic is um, um, more, more attention to my um, spiritual dimension that has kind of wavered in importance in my life, but that it gave me a chance because I just think, you know, uh, when, when you're scared about living or dying, that, that makes you think about different kinds of things. And so um, I gave that dimension a little more attention and, and that I, I'm hoping will, will stay with me or I stay with it, however you want to think about that. What do you think is the number one reason that people don't focus on their personal and or professional well-being in your experience? Yeah, the research is clear on this. It's time. Um, people mm -hmm. say don't have enough time, whether it's to exercise or to go get another degree or to read or to network, whatever it is, it's time. And um, that's that's kind of interesting. Um, time, when people say time, uh, they're really saying prioritization or priority. So, 
you know, nobody has enough time and yet we all have the same amount of time. Um, you know, it's definitely the number one reason people say they don't engage in, in health habits. Um, and, you know, time is a resource really. Um, and we should think of it as a resource, as a resource. And when you think of it as a resource, um, you, you can be intentional about it, thoughtful about it and, and planning. So time and planning, I think are very related. You know, people say, well, you know, I, I either have time to do it or to plan to do it. I can't do both. And what they would find is if they planned, um, they would be more efficient and effective and find, find out or realize that they're doing what's really important and what's necessary and they will waste less time. So I try to help people see that um, they all waste a lot of time in their day. Um, and I'm not trying to minimize things that they might be doing with their time. I'm just saying it's not furthering their personal and professional well-being. And so if you think about time, time wasted as anything that doesn't further your personal and professional well-being, then you might find some places to um, do a little planning maybe instead of whatever it is that you that you were doing or maybe have a habit of doing. Um, you know, we, we tend to spend time on our priorities if we know what our priorities are. And so I find that people don't know what their priorities are, which sounds a little maybe funny or counterintuitive, but a lot of people, if you just ran up to them and put a gun to their head and said, what are your priorities? They wouldn't be able to tell you, maybe a couple. Um, and so, you know, sitting down and thinking about what, what's most important to me, you know, both personally and professionally, um, and then um, having that in your head, and then when, a, when an opportunity arises during your day or week to do something, just to say to yourself, you know, is this going to, is this consistent with my priorities? If the answer is yes, go for it. If the answer is no, then you might say, well, maybe I, maybe I should say no to this or say uh, maybe next time or not now or something like that. And, and that's hard when it's your spouse or your best friend asking you <laughs> to do something and, you know, to say, hey, you know, it's not consistent with my priority. That, that could sound, um, you know, uncomfortable. You it the right way. <laughs> right, right, right. But to say, you know, to say no with a smile, I like to say it that way, right? Say, you know mm -hmm. what, that sounds like a really um, worthwhile thing it's not what I want to spend my time on right now. So I'm going to say no. Um, I appreciate you asking me, you know, so, so we have to know what's important to us and then um, act consistent with that. And I think, again, keeping in mind that personal well-being um, is something that we should all be spending time on, um, especially now uh, when we're in this very, very stressful situation. Uh, you know, time in terms of health, in terms of um, government, politics, there's so much stress, you know, I just find myself getting so frustrated every day with what I'm seeing and hearing in our world. And so the, if I sacrifice my self-care, I would just be a gross person to hang around. Um, and so really, I think it's really, really important right now to, to think about what's important to me and then to do that. But you're right about it's just easy to get kind of wound up right now and just, I guess, distracted by everything else going around all of us. And that feels like a really helpful first step. Like if today I'm like, 
my wellness journey starts today, maybe my first step is not necessarily like going out for a 30 minute jog, but figuring out what are my priorities and then yeah. going from there. I love that idea as a first step. Yeah. Okay. So now I have my first step. Now I need to get motivated. Can you remind us? It's been a long time since I've been in physical therapy school. Can you remind us what are the different types of motivation and how this motivation can, can impact well-being and goal achievement? Yeah, um, I can. So motivation is a really interesting um, concept. I love studying motivation and physical therapists, um, physical therapist assistants often say, you know, uh, you know, I have to figure out a way to motivate my patient. You know, well, motivating someone else is really not a thing. Um, it, it's really, it's really fall, a false way to think about it. You, you can't really motivate someone else. And I know athletic coaches, you know, they pride themselves in being good motivators. Um, I would say they use fear a lot <laughs> mm -hmm. and punishment, which neither of which are motivation. And I'm not saying they don't work because I, I was an athlete my whole life and they did work. But um, when we're talking about personal and professional well-being, which are choices, then a different kind of motivation is more important. So there's there's intrinsic or internal motivation and there's extrinsic or external motivation. And very simply stated, internal motivation is something with inside of me, something that I think is important that can motivate me. And external, external motivation is something outside of me. So a physician saying to me, mm, your labs don't look very good. You really need to lose some weight or change your diet or stop smoking or whatever. Or my spouse saying, mm, honey, I think you really need to do X, Y, Z. Or if you don't do X, Y, Z, I'm going to stop doing ABC, you know, some kind of threat like that. And it can even be more subtle than that. So um, both types of motivation can urge action, can, can spur action. The only kind of motivation that lasts in the long term is internal. So as a health coach, I have to use external motivation sometimes like fear or threat to get someone to kind of go, oh, I need to take action. And then my focus is turning that external motivation to internal, because if I don't, then it's going to the behavior will stop because it's not sustainable. Um, there's also a third kind of motivation, and that's a motivation, uh, which means you're not either. You're not, it's not even on your radar. It's like, you're sort of clueless about it. So um, those people really need a good swift kick in the butt about the issue, so to speak. Um, and, and it's okay to start with extrinsic motivation, but you know, for physical therapists uh, treating patients, you know, patients come to us because they have to in most situations that something, you know, something breaks, they have an injury, they have an illness. And so, um, you know, they have to start new behaviors. They're required to start new behaviors because of the presentation of this health issue. You know, we really need to focus on turning that into intrinsic motivation by the time they're discharged or else they're not going to do, continue doing whatever their home program is. And so it applies to ourselves as well. So, um, you know, in order to sustain something in the long term, you have to be, you have to be um, internally motivated. And, and there's different degrees of internal motivated motivation the best motivation intrinsic motivation is is what we call um identity and so if we can see ourselves as a certain type of person that is the strongest type of motivation so i'll give you an example 
Um, I might exercise because um, I love the sport of basketball, let's just say. Like I'm gonna go play, play basketball because I'm a, just a student of basketball. I love all basketball. That's intrinsic motivation, okay? I've decided that for myself, it's important to me. However, that's not as strong as if I saw myself as a basketball player. If I can, if I can identify as a basketball player, if, if I would say to somebody, you know, I'm, I'm a basketball player, you know, what kind of physical activity do you? I'm a basketball player. If you see yourself as that, then you're, it's even stronger motivation. So um, that's true for all kinds of, of things. So like if you want to be a better writer, let's say, or if you want to be a person who reads self-help books or fun novels or whatever, you have to see yourself as a reader, <laughs> right? It's, it's not gonna work just to put the book on your bedside table and to go to bed 15 minutes earlier. Um, you know, as soon as something else comes up, that's gonna go by the wayside. But if you see yourself as someone who reads or as a reader um, or as someone who learns, whatever it is, then you're gonna make choices consistent with that because it's part of your identity. So um, that goes back to that first step that you mentioned earlier, Sarah, about the first step is to sit down with myself and identify my priorities. I would say at the same time, or even maybe first, the first step might be to think about your identity, right? What identity do I want to have related to um, my personal well-being, and what identity do I want to have related to my professional well-being? Um, and from that, create your priorities um, and and go from there. Does that make sense? It definitely does. Well, what I what I really like about that too is a, a, there's a, an option there. You know, you can choose your identity essentially, which is, that's a, that's a big conversation to have as well. But, you know, if I'm thinking, um, you know, I really want to be a runner, I'm going to choose that as my, I'm going to shift who I am almost. You it is, you will. Yeah. If you mm -hmm. see yourself as a runner, you're going to, you're going to shift um, a lot of things uh, in addition to your thinking. Um, mm -hmm. when I start working with people, um, I, I coach employees in our employee wellness program. And, um, generally the behaviors that I work with people on are physical activity, uh, healthy eating, sleep, smoking, things like that. And when I start with them, they all have the same identity, which is I'm pretty much a lazy slob and I don't do anything. And that's how they see themselves. Yeah. And you know yeah. why? Because societal society tells them that right mm -hmm. um um so uh i have to work hard to help them change their identity um because that will sustain their uh the behaviors that they've adopted long after i'm i'm done done you know working with them i love that concept i love that you know i can see the role that physical therapists and physical therapist assistants can play in that. And if almost just laying that out, not only for yourself, but for your patients as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Foundation. Yeah. Lots to think about here. I'm loving this. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about avoidance goals. I recently read an article on this. Can you help explain it a little bit better? I'm not even going to try. 
I can. Yeah. Nope. So, so, um, so let's go back to the steps. Um, so okay. you've, you've identified the identity that you want to have related to your personal and professional well-being. You've identified the priorities. So, mm -hmm. so what's the next step? The next step is to set some goals and, you know, PTs and PTAs are well familiar with the value of goal setting because we do it with our patients all the time. And so, um, I think everyone can relate to the value and power of, of goal setting. Um, and from a, from the perspective we're talking about today from well-being, an important point about goal setting is that um, when you achieve a goal, it enhances your self-efficacy or your confidence. And the number one variable affected with, um, uh, uh, related to success in making any behavior change is self-efficacy. It's like the strongest of all the constructs that we've that we've studied. So self-efficacy, super important. Confidence, super important. So goals can help build that confidence. Um, and we know from the literature that we're more likely to achieve or do something if we set a goal to do it. And so um, I'm always amazed that nobody ever argues with me about the importance of goals. My, pay, my, my clients, my patients, they always just really appreciate goals. So, but there's different types of goals and some goals have been shown to be better than others. So let me talk about it in a couple of ways. Um, approach, you said approach versus avoidance goals. So um, a an approach goal is saying, um, wording it such as, I will do something. So uh, instead of saying, I won't sit on the couch after dinner and watch television, that's an avoidance goal. I'm going to say to myself or set a goal to, I will um, go for a walk after dinner with my spouse or with my dog. So um, approach goals are preferred over avoidance goals. Um, you can have appearance goals. So goals um, that um, speak to the way the world perceives you. Um, you can have performance goals. Those are the actions that you might take. And then you can have identity goals, which is what we talked about before. So um, I will be a healthy eater by making myself a salad for lunch three days this week, right? Um, instead of saying, I will um, choose to eat a salad for lunch three days this week. That's a performance goal. That's okay. Um, but adding the identity in there is even better because it, then, it, then it reinforces that. And appearance goals are, um, are uh, a little more difficult to get our head around, but something like um, I um want to eat more salad um so that i will lose weight so it's a it's attached to what we want to look like or appear like or what we think the world wants us to look like instead of our identity and so you said the strongest goal setting would be the approach goal approach or identity approach or identity goals are the um, yeah yeah, there's one other differentiator. So you can also have goals that are mastery goals or learning goals, and you can have, you can compare that to performance goals or doing goals and learning goals uh, tend to be stronger than performance goals. Um, yeah, so um, like I will, if you, let's talk about, let's talk about running. Um Instead of saying, I will run 
three times this week for 30 minutes each. That's a performance goal. I can say a master goal would be, um, I will lower my one mile time by 30 seconds. That's more of a mastery goal. Mm -hmm. And then you have more flexibility in terms of how you get there. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you say if the goal is I will run three times this week, 30 minutes, then you're just going to go out and run three times for 30 minutes. But if you say I'm going to lower my my one mile speed from, let's say, 10 minutes to nine minutes, then you might go do some sprints. I mean, mm -hmm. you might jog, you might do some sprints, you might go to the gym and lift some weights. And so if it's raining all week and you can't go out because you don't like to run in the rain, then what are you going to do? The goal is kind of you know, but if you have that mastery goal, then you're going to be a little more creative and you're going to say, oh, yeah, I can go to the gym today and, you know, lift some weight or get on the treadmill or whatever. So um, mastery goals help us um, gain confidence and um, confidence is the key. Um, people who have higher confidence levels are more creative in how they will um, manage any barriers or roadblocks to their goals. I love it when I'm working with a client and they say, you know, we set this goal to do this this week, but something came up and I couldn't do that. So I thought about it and I did this instead. And I feel really good about that. And I'm thinking inside myself, they are, this habit is becoming sustainable when they start to be creative in how they, uh, creative and flexible about how they manage it. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, how they all yeah, if you can have some flexibility in how you ultimately get there and you're the one, you know, you have control over it. Exactly. But, but when people starting out, they don't realize that, right? They think they have to do it exactly the way they wrote it down or it's failure. And right. um, that's just not, that's just not the case. Um, it feels like that. <laughs> so it is their reality. I'm but sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do people put up most commonly as a barrier that you can usually help them get over? Like, what are the most common themes or problems that arise when you're yeah. working? That's a great question. Um, so, so barriers can be real and they can be perceived. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so real barriers are, um, and time is a perceived barrier. Time is not a real barrier. I, I, and when I say that, it really upsets people uh, until they until they start to think about it a little bit and they get it. So a real barrier mm -hmm. is, so let's say you've planned to go for a run today after work, Sarah. And mm -hmm. let's say something comes up, like something legit comes up in your life and you just a can't do it. A child care issue. Yeah, a child care issue or you know your best friend from college comes into town they're only here tonight and you want to see them that's a legitimate thing that you should do right um and so um that is uh, a real barrier and so um when people are earlier in their journey of 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 creating a, a regular behavior they're going to have less creativity as i just mentioned and less self-efficacy so they're just going to go all right well i just won't do it tonight well if you're if you have more creativity you're going to say okay well I can't do it tonight or I can't do it after work but I could do it tomorrow and here's when I could do it maybe I need to shift something around or whatever so so um you know so unexpected things come up uh that's that's probably the biggest barrier I see poor planning is definitely a barrier um and it's a barrier because they didn't invest in the planning and so 
um, uh, they're leaving themselves more susceptible to getting derailed. So I can't emphasize planning enough, especially as it relates to healthy eating, which is a challenge for every human being in the, in the world. Um, you know, you cannot in our society eat healthy if you don't plan, because if you just rely on what's around, it is not healthy and it will never be, um, unless you're in a very unique situation. And I, I don't know what that is. So um, you know, I'll, I'll give myself as an example. Um, I love food. I love to eat. I have a very high activity level. So I, I eat regularly and I eat a lot. And so I know that I need to have healthy food with me all the time. So I plan that, right? So I always have with me an apple or a banana. And I know that around four o'clock, I'm going to want to eat something. If I don't have this accessible, I can't eat it. Right. And so I can go in our break room and I can find a bag of chips, a bag of popcorn, a bag of pretzels. Those aren't terrible things for me, but I know I'm going to feel better after I eat this than if I eat that. So I have to plan. I have to put it in my bag. I have to go to the store and buy it and I have to put it in my bag. So I'm not saying it takes a ton of time, but it does take planning. Um, and if you don't plan, you're going to society's going to derail you because you know, our society is not created so that the healthy choice is the easy choice. Our society is set up so that the unhealthy choice is the easy choice. And if I can do anything in my life, I'm going to change that. <laughs> you know, I love and, that. I'm so on board with you. <laughs> that's my, it's my goal. And, you know, when I, I'll just have a little sidebar here. When I came to see APTA's new building, it was so impressive because as it relates to physical activity, you all have made the healthy choice, the easy choice. There's mm -hmm. no reason you can't be physically active if you work at APTA. You've got a gym, you've got bike parking, you've got showers, you've got a beautiful trail and a beautiful river. Um, you've got great weather. I mean, the it's made to be physically active. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, that's another thing when we get to the hacks I'll, I'll talk about, you know, we, we need to set our environment up to support our priorities and our healthy behaviors. And so that takes a little planning and a little effort. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's get into the hacks. What are some of your tried and true hacks thus far? <laughs> okay. I know about the apple and banana now. I'm gonna do it tomorrow. <laughs> if you like apple and bananas, you might you yeah. might have a different fruit you like. Um, so we've talked about some of these, and I would I just want to say um, that all of these are evidence based, and they come from um, theories of behavior change that are are very well supported. So the first thing on my list is to plan and schedule. So um, no matter what it is, think about it, plan it, um, get ready for it, know when you're going to do it, know what you need, and and uh, and get those those things. I always say to people, put it on your calendar. You know, if you use a calendar, block out time, you can make that private. Um, if you don't put it on your calendar, it probably won't happen. Mm -hmm. And if you put it on your calendar and then it gets bumped off, that's okay. Put it somewhere else. The chances are, if you put it on your calendar, you're going to be able to do it most of the time. That's how it works for most people. So no matter how small, like no matter how small it is, put it on your calendar. Um, even a 10-minute walk or a 10-minute yeah. meditation. Just put it Not on. the calendar in your brain, but the calendar on your yes. phone. Yes, yes, whatever calendar you use. And, you know, I do work with people that don't use a calendar. That's perfectly fine. 
So they do use it. They do do it in their brain, but they are intentional about it. So mm-hmm. at the beginning of the week, they say to themselves, I'm going to do this on this day. Um, that's my intention. And if there's somebody in your life that derails you, that's the third highest barrier is other people um, getting in the way or, or whatever you might think of, however you might think that, you know, tell that person on Tuesday at this time, I'm going to do this. And I would love your support to do that. Whether that means leave me alone, do it with me, um, take care of my kids so I can do it, whatever it means, but get their, get their cooperation. That's another hack is finding support from others. Um, either a buddy or friend to do it with, or somebody who will cover for you if you need coverage for something um, that you can then reciprocate for them, whatever it is. Social support is super important for all these kinds of things. Um, And as humans, we are social beings and um, that just um, makes everything better in our our life. So Um, stick to the schedule is another hack. so write it down, stick to it, and then be flexible and modify when you have to. Flexibility is super important. I am a weird personality. I have a lot of um, sort of rigidity in, in my schedule and my approach to things. And I also have a great deal of flexibility. So the way that works for me is I put it on that schedule and then I, I execute flexibly. Um, and so I get to use both of my strengths when, when, when I'm um, thinking about my time. Um, I mentioned this a minute ago, design your environment for success. Um, so this, is, this comes from the socio-ecological model, which says that um, humans have multiple influences on them. They're concentric circles. So in the middle is the person or the individual. The next level is like your family unit. Uh, or your team, if it's at work. The next unit is your neighborhood or your department, if you're at work. And the next level would be your organization or your city, depending. And if if for someone to be successful changing a behavior, they have to have support at all of those levels. And so the environment really includes everything beyond that inside circle of the individual. So um, set up your environment for success. So, you know, if you want to eat healthy, then you have to have healthy food. That's a really easy, easy environment. Um, if you want to get better sleep or more sleep, which I know from, from watching Fit for Practice over the last couple of months, that's been a, a, top, a hot topic. You know, look at your sleeping area and set it up to be conducive to sleep. So get rid of electronics, get rid of, you know, television, get rid of the baby bed, um, get rid of whatever it is. Maybe you have um, kids' toys in there, and so that's why the kids come in there. You know, so just think about your environment. Make make it dark, make it cool, or make it warm, or whatever. So um, that's super important. You're more likely to be successful um, if your environment supports it, um, because really that supersedes the environment. Supersedes motivation. People don't understand why this is the case. So. You know, your motivation is, is, is in your head, you know, and, and in your heart, I guess, too, you can think of. And it's what you're thinking. If you create the environment to support the behavior, then it just kind of bypasses the motivation, um, especially after you get um, some experience with the behavior. So that applies in all, all different types of 
um, situations and behaviors. Should I go on? More hacks? Yeah. Can you give us more? Yeah. Um, I'll take what you have. <laughs> okay. Another one is to anticipate obstacles and um, think about how you're going to overcome them. So, you know, plan it out, um, put it on your calendar, intend to do it, and then think of what are all the things that could go wrong that could could get in the way. And what are, you know, from experience, we've all had these experiences and think about what can you do to overcome them. And, you know, if you can't figure that out, talk to somebody that um, understands your world and your and your obstacle and and um, see what they could offer or talk to somebody in your life that, you know, does this behavior and does it consistently. Just ask them, how do you how do you do it? You know, your life seems similar to me or, you know, we, we share the same job or whatever how do you make this work people love to talk about how they've been successful doing something um and certainly when you get to my stage of the of, of your career which is at the end um you you love to share wisdom that you've learned the hard way so mm -hmm. i think i think especially in physical therapy there people are generous with with mentoring and sharing mm -hmm. those those with those wisdoms um Oh, visualization. We haven't talked about that. So visualize yourself doing whatever it is, right? So um, sometimes people have, if you all, I know you all commute in DC, so you have time to daydream or visualize or whatever. I, I have to drive a car, so I probably shouldn't daydream when I'm driving a car. But, you know, just take a few minutes in the day and visualize yourself doing it. Visualize yourself, you know, getting in the situation, putting on the clothes, whatever it is. Um, uh, speaking, whatever it is, just visualize yourself doing it, try to feel how it would feel um, to get your brain familiar with what it's going to take and what it's going to do and what it's going to mean to you. So visualization is works for athletes, works for everybody else too. It's a really, really good, good prep thing. Um, self-talk, we haven't talked about self-talk. Um, positive self-talk is really important. Um, some people say, uh, reward yourself by saying to yourself, good job, you did that. You know, so in your head, Sarah, you could say, good job, Sarah, Sarah, you did that, right? So um, that's positive self-talk. You could also just say, you know what? I'm really tired tonight and I had hoped I could do X, Y, Z. And I think the best thing for me is just to go to bed early. So I'm gonna go to bed. You know, instead of beating yourself up by saying, oh man, I set that goal. I don't feel like doing it. It's so hard. I'm a loser. You know, that has a really bad impact on, on your brain and on your motivation. It's, it really is creating a toxic environment for, for yourself. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to stop negative self-talk. It's really hard. Um, first step is to notice you're doing it and just to go, oh, there I go again. That wasn't very kind to me. You know, I wouldn't say that to someone else. Why am I saying it to myself? Uh, those kinds of things. The second step is to notice it and to, to sort of change the script a little bit and to say, okay, so that wasn't very kind. How can I be kind to myself right now? You know, uh, so I, I did intend to do this thing. Um, it's not going to work out that way right now. I'm going to um, not do it right now, but I'm going to see where else I can do it in my week. I love that. I love the, I think you're right though, catching yourself in that negative self-talk. 
can be maybe the hardest step. Yeah, it Someone is. like me, you're kind of used to it, you know? So I can see that being a, a big catch and something potentially could change right away. Yes, yes. Right. If you're, you know, one, one strategy I've um, shared with people that I find works is if you, if you are having a hard time catching yourself, then you could take a different strategy and just build in intentional moments where you, where you talk to yourself kindly and positively during the day. Mm-hmm. And it gets to the point where the positive outweighs the negative. Mm-hmm. And that makes it easier to change. So just, in, you know, just, you know, set a little alarm on your phone for start out twice a day, you know, go to three times or four times. And just every time the alarm goes off, just think of, okay, what can I say positive to myself today or right now in this moment? Like, oh, you know, I feel really proud of how I handled that situation. Or, um, you know, I brought that apple and I ate it instead of cookies. And, you know, thinking about it, I feel really good. It made me feel better. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, you don't want to lie to yourself or fabricate or embellish because yourself is pretty smart. It's going to know when you're doing those things. It's not going to fall for it. So you want to be honest. You want to be truthful. You want to be real. So, you know, what can I say to myself that would be accurate, honest, and a reflection of, of where I am in this moment, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah. We could talk for hours about self-talk, so. Um, And then reward yourself when you meet a goal. Um, We talked about being, you know, positive self-talk is a reward. So good job, Sarah. Good job, Janet. You know, that is a reward. But, but, you know, you should should reward yourself when you meet a goal. That's one way to um, progress from extrinsic to intrinsic motivation. It's, there's a little bit of disagreement in the literature about this. But I find personally that if you reward yourself with a meaningful reward, so for example, if you are trying to become more physically active and you meet your goal one week for physical activity and your reason for being more physically active is to lose weight, um, you don't want to reward yourself with a hot fudge sundae. That kind of, (laughs) you know, (laughs) yeah, so, so, but what you could reward yourself with is a new pair of socks or a new sports bra or something um, that is consistent with your goal. And, you know, I love new clothes. So I'm always about, you know, having, having a a reward that's new clothes, but so, so be thoughtful about the reward. Um, um, You know, a a really uh, dinner at a new restaurant that you haven't been to that has healthy options. That's another great, great reward or a night out with your friend or spouse, um, where it's just the two of you and you can connect things like that, that are, that are meaningful and contribute to your goal or your goal achievement. All right. I have a couple more. Okay. So one of my favorite authors is James Clear. He wrote the book Atomic Habits and I'll, I'll add that to the reference list. And he, um, he has some great memorable ways to think about things. And then um, the other author whose book I, I like is um, Charles Duhigg. And he wrote, uh, I think his book is called Habit. It's a yellow book. You've probably seen it. Um, and he relies on the research of, of, a, of a researcher named B.J. Fogg. So these, these concepts come from these guys. And um, the first one is habit stacking. So James Clear talks about this. And it's pairing a new habit you want to develop with a regular habit that you already have. So he um, gives the example of every morning, the first thing he does is he gets up, 
gets up, goes downstairs, and he makes coffee. So he wanted to do 10 push-ups every day. That was his new habit. And so he wrote a note and put it on his coffee maker that said, once you put the coffee to brew, he, he usually would just stand there and wait for it to brew. He got down on the floor and did 10 push-ups until that became regular. And he did, was doing it every day. So that's habit stacking. So everybody has regular habits that they do. Um, and so give yourself some kind of cue or reminder when you're doing uh, one habit and then add the new habit, right? Um, another concept is called temptation bundling. And that's where you would link an action that you want to do. So something that's attractive to you that you already do. So something you want to do with an action that you think you need to do. So it kind of works like this. I will only, uh, so let's say I love sitting down and watching uh, the news um, or surfing online to find the news. Okay, so I spend 30 minutes in the evening finding out what happened in our crazy world. So I will only search online for news when I, um, or after I go run for 30 minutes, right? So if running 30 minutes is what you want to start doing, that's the new thing. You'll only do it after you do something that you, you know you love to do and you do regularly. So that's temptation bundling. So that's another, yeah, that's another, another strategy. Um, and then the last thing is the three R's of behavior change. And Duhigg talks about this in his book. Uh, he calls it the habit loop. So habits um, occur when there's a reminder and then a routine and then a reward. So the first step is a reminder. So some cue or trigger that initiates the behavior. That's where the idea of like putting your tennis shoes in your car so you have them or putting them right in front of your door so that you like trip over them when you walk out and you'll bring them with you. That's a reminder or a trigger. The routine is a behavior. So in this case, it would be walking or running, the behavior that you would do and then the reward is the benefit that you gain from doing the behavior. So you can think of it as a feeling. So after I run, I'm, I'm much more productive at work for the rest of the day, or I sleep better, or I don't wanna kick my dog when I come home or whatever it might be. So, um, you know, feeling and action, a natural reward. So you wanna think about the reward as natural. And that's something that people have a hard time understanding. Some people think these health habits are just protecting my health. They actually improve the quality of our life, right? They make us feel better. They make us perform better. They make us be better people. And so if you can see the connection between these health habits and the way you're performing, feeling, thinking, then those are much better rewards that will that that are natural and will automatically increase your your desire um, to do them. Right. Talk about increasing your intrinsic motivation. If you can make that link between, let's say, you know, job performance or something like, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. There's lots of literature that's that says that uh, people who have health have positive health habits are much more productive employees. Lots, lots of evidence. I, I see that myself uh, mm -hmm. in my own self and the, and the people I work with. So um, that's, um, you know, you can think of it as a way to get ahead in, in this world. <laughs> yeah, that can be really powerful. <laughs> it can. Like if you set your priorities, you know. 
Right. You know, not to say that those health habits aren't hard. Uh, you know, they're not easy. They just have a bigger payoff than you might think. You know, I was trying to, I was thinking through that because I'm, I'm thinking about things, you know, of course, you know, when I think of a new concept, I always think about my own life and how I could potentially apply that. And, you know, for me, it's like one, you know, the one thing I will never not do is brush my teeth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's at least twice a day. And, you know, I'm thinking about those positive thoughts that can then potentially go when you're brushing, when I'm brushing my teeth, you know, how can I, what small change can I make and have it, you know, start tonight. And every time I do that, I love the idea of that habit stacking. Um, so it, I love that, that. Was more of a thought than a question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. That's great. Brushing your teeth is a really great example because it's a positive mm -hmm. health habit. It's something that people are very automatic about and it's very. a perfect kind of habit to stack something else with. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I love that. I, I, I can't wait to hear what you're going to come up with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I have one place to start now. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> okay, I have one last question. Okay. When it comes to the bottom line with regards to wellness, what are three or four of your biggest takeaways, action items that we could start as soon as we're done recording our podcast? Okay. So I have a I'm couple gonna... ideas, but <laughs> okay. And I would love to hear your ideas too. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give some answers that I think are are mindsets. So um, we can add to that. So the first thing is that success doesn't occur by accident, you know, planning, scheduling, intention, those things are imperative as we've discussed. Um, every little bit counts. This is a really important one with health behaviors and with professional success. Every little thing you do that contributes to getting you where you want to go counts. There's no minimum, you know, one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, every little bit counts. So, um, and it's cumulative over your life. So um, start, start putting in the time. Um, decide who you wanna be first. So we talked about that, that's the first step. Decide who you wanna be, what's your identity as it relates to whatever it is you're, you're trying, to, trying to get to. Um, the next one is uh, something we just talked about. Health and wellness are not about perfection. They occur when we make decisions that are best for us the majority of the time. So we want to think about health and wellness as making decisions that are the best decision for us the majority of the time. So it's okay to eat chocolate cake. It's okay to eat hot fudge sundaes. It's okay to sit on the couch and watch a television show. It's not okay to do it every day and it's not okay to do it all the time. Um, that's when you, that's when the imbalance occurs. So it's not about um, denying yourself. It's not about never having fun. It's not, it's not about never uh, enjoying. It's not about good and bad foods. Uh, it's just about making the decisions that are right and the best for you the majority of the time. So I think that's a really helpful thing to get your head around. Um, I'm not perfect and I don't want to be perfect because that takes some of the excitement out of life. <laughs> right. Fun. Imperfectly yeah. fun thing. <laughs> right, right. So, but but you know, the world thinks we do need to be perfect. And so um, we have to we have to think about that and be and be bold and advocate for ourselves. Um, and then last one is don't forget the environment. So there's two parts to the environment. I wasn't explicit about this before, but there's the physical environment and the social environment. 
So we need both of those to help us. So we need the physical environment to support making the healthy choice, the easy choice, and we need our social environment, our social support to, to support us. So if our social environment is not supporting us in whatever way that looks like, then sometimes we have to have hard conversations with people to um, at least get them to stop whatever it is that's that's not productive. They may not go as far as supporting us, but maybe they can stop doing whatever is not supporting us. So Right, which is support in of itself. So, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, what's on your list? From what well, no. <laughs> so I was going to say I love I love I love bullet points. I love the first you start here, then right. And so I thought that the idea of thinking about your identity, like just starting there, a little bit of positive self-talk is, is like where I would start based on our talk today. Um, but those five takeaways are so helpful. And I think, you know, changing your environment. I mean, you mentioned the APTA environment, how it's, you know, you're set up to succeed. And, you know, how can you translate that into your life? You know, one big change I've made in my life is um, just walking. You know, I have two little kids. I don't have time, right? Yeah. But uh, I found a friend in the, my neighborhood who's willing to get up at 545 in the morning. And we walk like two days a week and we walk from an hour. And sometimes we don't talk at all. Sometimes we just like, you know, talk about nothing you know the world or nothing or husbands whatever and right. it's just been like the nicest change in my life thanks to the pandemic and um that's awesome so yeah. you leave the kids at home my husband and kids are still sleeping and okay. they don't wake up gotcha gotcha that's that's around great. 6 36 45 so that's like my time yeah you know? now that that sounds perfect don't don't forget or don't hesitate to tell your kids why you're doing that so that they grow up knowing that that's normal, what that's what mommies do. Yeah. And that's what kids should do as they grow up. You know, I think we underappreciate as parents our, our ability to influence our children in terms of mm -hmm. these kinds of habits. And we are the most influential things that our kids have. So you're being a fantastic model for your for your children, Sarah. So well, it's only a recent change. <laughs> that's okay. You're doing it though. Keep it up. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and when yeah. you, and when it's cold and dark outside, you don't want to get up, think about your children, think about mm -hmm. those kids and you'll have a little more motivation to go do it. Absolutely. Well, and I also think about my friend who like, I don't want to leave her in the cold. And, yeah. You know, so I, you know, I'm using her that, you know, like extrinsically to try to drive a little more of that identity of like, I'm someone who exercises four times a week. Yeah. I'm somebody who gets up at quarter to six and goes mm -hmm. out in the cold and yeah. walks. Yeah. That's really something to be able to say that. That's yeah. that's a proud, that's a proud, something you'd be proud of. APTA Fit for Practice programming is available at no cost to all PTs, PTAs, and students, thanks to the generosity of our sponsors. Sign up today by visiting APTA.org and search Fit for Practice. APTA podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.